the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. For those looking to take their market and business knowledge to the next level, we offer Magic Markets Premium, a research reports and podcast library that nearly has 100 reports in it and a new one every week, all available for just 99 Rand a month. Recent reports have included the likes of Kroger, Deer & Co, Foot Locker, McDonald's, UPS, Apple, Meta, Johnson & Johnson & Swatch. With broad variety and deep research, this is perfect for anyone looking to go to the next level. We invite you to join us in Magic Markets Premium. Go to magic-markets.com to subscribe. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by B2IT. Have you heard of Robotic Process Automation or RPA? It taps into the incredible potential of artificial intelligence to effortlessly handle those never-ending, monotonous tasks. Or as B2IT put it, they make robots so people don't have to be robots. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. We thank B2IT for their support of Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 144 of Magic Markets and with thanks to our sponsor B2IT for us to do these really fun shows where we go and research a couple of companies and come together and have a bit of banter, moan, a bit of an argument and maybe come out with our favorite at the end. So uh, welcome, it's good to be doing this with you. We just finished recording our premium show on Dollar General, which could well be the worst company I've ever looked at. So I'm quite excited now to talk about a couple of proper companies. Indeed, and if you're a subscriber, go and listen right to the very, very, very end of the podcast because Ghost does save a little surprise. Even after we're doing our outro, go save something for there. Go and check that out. If you're not a subscriber, you should be a subscriber. But let's get into today's show. Let's say what we're talking about, Ghost, I think it's been a pretty interesting time in this particular sector. Banks, we both come from a banking background and I sit up here in North America at the moment. So I'm going to be covering a North American, let's call it the OG of banking, right? The original gangster, JP Morgan. This was the company that was around ages ago in the Great Depression. They were there to try and rescue everyone. They've survived the global financial crisis. In fact, they can also boast that they have Jamie Dimon was the last of the major bank CEOs who was in the driving seat during the global financial crisis, still in the driving seat today. That's what I'm covering, JP Morgan. Ghost, what about you? Yeah, so I've got Standard Bank. So we decided to do one local, one global, which I think is pretty cool. Very much looking forward to that. I'll tell you what, Ma, I'll give you pole position here and let you go first with JP Morgan. I mean, that is very much the big brother. Jamie Dimon is pretty much the godfather of banking in the modern world, I suppose, or at least seen that way by many. So let's see. Let's see what you've got. Let's see what's going on with JP Morgan. So before we even jump in, I I like to do a bit of a recap. You know, this is a stock we've covered in detail in Magic Markets Premium. And and again, a recap is probably worthwhile. We last covered the stock in July 2022. In fact, we had covered it in a thematic show a lot earlier. It was one of the earliest shows we had done in Magic Markets Premium. But JP Morgan specifically, we covered in July 2022. Now, at the time, we were complaining about regulators increasing the minimum capital ratios. Jamie Dimon, very vocal about that. Uh, and in fact, it was forcing the company to, I mean, it, ha- it was in rude health. They had these massive capital buffers, but eventually resulted in them cutting their share buybacks. Uh, at that time, we had card, which was driving the advances because other categories, mortgages, for example, slowing down. Technically, at the time, the stock was in a bear trend. It was testing support. And we used these words. We said, patience will be well served. And we'll unpack whether that's actually happened. The stock at the time looked cheap. 
But looking at forward multiples, we said that's what counts. And there was a lot of uncertainty in the market. We were going into a recession, arguably. We had a yield curve that was just flat at the time with a risk of inverting. And so the stock was not a screaming buy for us at that time. Now, quickly on the macro side, higher rates for banks, those tend to be good to a point. A flat yield curve, that isn't good, but an inverted yield curve is worse. So from when we covered it in July 2022, the macro backdrop has worsened. We see investment banking activity, you know, that was down at the time the pipeline had deteriorated. And on the technicals, the stock was around $114 a share in that bear trend. It actually headed lower. It went down to around $100 a share, which was between our support one and our support two levels and close to a long-term trend line that we had identified. And then it bounced. And so it's back above the 200-week moving average in November last year. It tested that from above. It was confirmed in April and the stock's actually higher. We're around 140s right now. So you had to watch this one closely if you wanted to pick up some of those gains. Now, my first point, Ghost, is I just want to say we know the stock's bounced, but on a year-to-date basis, and this is a nice way to kind of move towards South African banks, do you think JP Morgan's outperformed a South African bank? And if so, by how much? Oh, I wish I looked at this before the time now, because I'm almost certainly going to embarrass myself. I mean, is that is that worth converting the South African bank to dollars? So is this in dollars? It's a great question, and I'll let you off the hook, right? I'm, I'm going to let you off the hook, because that's the point. The point is that on a year-to-date basis, JP Morgan is up 8%, right? Standard Bank, in RAND terms, is up 10%. But guess what? Here's the bad news. Wah, wah, you know, bad sound effect coming through here. In dollar terms, down around a percent. And the, the delta is basically your currency move. So this tells you that even if the stocks move in tandem, even if the macro factors are aligned, as a South African investor, sometimes the FX move is just not going to work for you. And again, we can unpack some of that in my commentary later on. The important point I want to land on here before I hand over to you, Ghost, is that JP Morgan, the OG, it's actually beat all of your other US banks. JP Morgan up 8% on a year-to-date basis. Let's compare that. Wells Fargo down around 2%. Goldman Sachs down around 6%. And then Bank of America down around 18%. There's been a lot of movement. There were failures of regional banks. JP Morgan stepping in, rescuing First Republic, and the share price, obviously the better for it, just given strong management, strong capital, this is a power player. So the thing to understand when you look at local banks, local being now South African versus the global banks, you can almost think of them as different pizzas, right? You've got Capitec is like a margarita. It's pretty basic, but it's good at what it does. And then you've got the other banks that, you know, they maybe get as exciting as, I don't know, like a spicy chicken in the case of Standard Bank with some big African operations. I mean, mildly interesting. By the time you get to the international stuff, you know, JP Morgan is a pizza with all of the toppings. Goldman Sachs is that blue cheese and fig special that I personally love, but isn't for everyone. When it's great, it's great. And when it's bad, it's terrible. You know, because they have such exposure to public markets, whereas the South African banks are way more traditional commercial lending institutions. They're a little bit boring in comparison to JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs. A boring is not a bad thing. There are pockets of things that are incredibly interesting in there. And there's just a lot of sort of standard banking. And standard banking likes this environment. <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible pun that was really completely unintended. Standard bank and standard banking love this environment, right? Because inflation makes balance sheets bigger and it drives demand for debt. And then interest rates are higher. So net interest margin expands. And, and just what that means in simple terms, you know, your current account does not suddenly start paying you a great return because interest rates are high. But goodness knows your home loan just got a whole lot more expensive, right? 
And in South Africa, which is a structurally high interest rate environment, you also get the endowment effect, which is basically the interest that the bank can earn by lending out its equity. So that helps local banks as well. And it certainly helps them when rates are going up. So if you've not noticed yet on the JSE, my opening point really is that most of these corporate management teams are working really hard right now so that their bankers can actually have a better life. And Standard Bank headline earnings per share for the six months to June was up 35%. And you can see it playing out here. Return on equity, that's up from 15.7% to 18.9%. Net asset value, that's up 10%. So just to set the scene, Standard Bank is doing well. As you point out, Mo, although it always depends on which system we look at, I had 8.9% year-to-date return, so it depends on whether you start on the last day of last year or the first day of this year. It doesn't really matter. The one I looked at will also give me that the JSC Top 40 is down 2.3% over the same time period. So it's a very nice outperformance by Standard Bank of the broader South African market, but as you've pointed out, not good on a global level. Interestingly enough, you did not have to be a stock picking champion to get that return versus the local index. Because if you bought the Satrix Finney, for example, you're up 3.7% this year, which is still outperformance versus the broad markets, although not a great return. You were better off with a fixed deposit, right? Capitec is actually the culprit dragging that down, off nearly 12% year to date. The point I'm making here is valuations are always important in banking, in anything else you look at, but they are clearly visible here. Yeah, that's such a great point. In fact, it kind of ties into my second point because valuations are everything. So jumping back to JP Morgan, what's happened on the valuation front, right? When we covered the stock last year, uh, we look at this, this thing called an effective ROE. We looked at it back then. We look at the return on equity versus the price to book. What are you actually paying for the actual business? Now in banking, that works quite well. And when we looked at JP Morgan, at the time, the effective ROE, so again, it's ROE adjusted for price to book, was around 10. Now, guess what? It's still around that level. So if you're looking at a measure of cheapness versus expensive, I indicated how the stocks actually rallied over the course of the last year, then thereabouts. But on a valuations basis, it's still pretty much in line with where it was back then. And in fact, if you look at it on another measure, if you look at the dividend, for example, at around 2.9%, Historically, that's not making JP Morgan cheap at these levels. It's kind of close on fair value. Now, let's get into some of the, the, the nitty gritty. Let's look at my next point. I've indicated how Jamie Dimon was grumpy around higher capital requirements. And in fact, this has been a theme for a long time. You know, even in July of this year, Jamie Dimon, very vocal. I think he said something like he wants to know what regulators are trying to accomplish because they are asking US banks to hold a lot more capital than the international competitors. So he takes aim at the regulators uh, and he says, uh, I, I love this one. He said, these are the same regulators that said that rates won't go up. So right now they should have a lot more humility. <laughs> now only Jamie, only Jamie Diamond can say that, but he's yeah, the king of humility himself. Himself, right? He's, he's coming out as almost like the Johan Rupert of the banking industry. You know, you, he's known to be bearish. Now the concern for me and, and ties into my next point is just where are we in the cycle? You indicated South African banks, the endowment effect. And in South Africa, a very important point is that your yield curve is positively sloped. You know, if you look at the short end of your yield curve versus the longer end of the yield curve, you're still getting higher rates at the longer end of your yield curve versus where the short end is right now. And that is a positive factor when you're looking at banks, because generally banks tend to actually borrow in the shorter term, they lend at the longer term. And, you know, that effectively is, is where they extract some value. 
Now in the US, that's not the case. The short end has kicked up significantly given the kind of policy reaction you've seen from the Fed. The long end remarkably stayed kind of anchored and you've had this negative shaped yield curve. Now remember the US goes all the way out to 30 years and beyond. So it does depend where you're looking at on the yield curve. But a negative yield curve hurts banks because they borrow in the short end and they lend in the long end. Superimpose on that the fact that you know the mortgage market has been dead in the US and I just think that we're at the wrong part of the cycle when you're looking at the US versus other global geographies. Now let me square the circle here and bring it all the way back to my comment on Jamie Dimon. My point here is that very recently he's actually been quite bearish. He's been in India, I'll get into that in my next point. He's been quite bearish and he says that he doesn't think that the market is prepared for a Fed funds rate at, wait for it, 7%. That's another 2% higher from where we are right now, give or take. And he is seeing a stagflation risk there. He says oil prices, energy prices can stay high. Policymakers might need to go a lot further. And so it's very interesting for me because he's complaining about the higher capital requirements. He's got enough capital, but overall he's saying the market, the economy is not ready for what could be a much higher for longer policy environment. Maybe Jamie Dimon just needs to get on a plane and come to Africa because Standard Bank is doing very, very well in its African regions. And that's my second point. These African regions contribute 44% to group headline earnings. Profit in that region up 65%. Return on equity up from 20.4% to 28.4%. Now the top six contributors for Jamie's uh, travel plans, Ghana, Kenya, Mozambique, Nigeria, Uganda, and Zimbabwe, interestingly enough. Uh, just as an aside, you know, I've been tracking like PPC's results. And again, in PPC, the best two stories are Rwanda and Zimbabwe. SA is like, oh, you know, not growing, volume issues, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's really frustrating. Anyway, at Standard Bank, South Africa did at least grow headline earnings up by 17%. And return on equity did increase from 13.7 to 15.2. But I mean, it's way below Africa, right? Way, way below. Now, it should be below Africa. There is absolutely no doubt that those African regions should be generating higher return on equity than South Africa because they are much riskier. The economies are complicated, right? They have key commodity exposures in many cases. Foreign currency can be tough to come by. Just ask any NAMPAC shareholder. And of course, there's always the risk of geopolitical trauma, always. But still, the Africa story really did stick out in these Standard Bank numbers for me. And I think it does somewhat set Standard Bank apart from some of its peers on the JSE, which weren't necessarily doing that well in Africa or have much smaller footprints. I think if you want to play a kind of broader, you know, reasonably higher for longer commodity prices, decent Africa story, I think Standard Bank has quite a good story to tell there. I'm so glad that this week's show is working out so well because we haven't scripted this, but th these points dovetail so, so nicely, right? My last point is exactly on emerging markets. Now, in the context of JP Morgan, maybe Africa hasn't been high on Jamie Dimon's, let's call it radar, but I'll tell you one emerging market that has been, and that's been India. Now, why is this interesting is that Standard Bank's got the China play. We've got the strategic shareholding from China. You know, they're a major shareholder in Standard Bank. They, they've got that link. JP Morgan, Yes, has, has kind of gone out on a limb there, you know, has been very complimentary towards China uh, over the course of the last year, you know, had to backtrack on some of, some of the commentary, but, you know, very much being the, let's call it the global statesman in the banking industry, and, you know, had to try and smooth over the risks in China with regards to trade war. Well, guess where he is right now? As I indicated earlier, he's in India. In fact, he was speaking in India around a day or two ago, based on when we're recording this. And why is this interesting for me is, A, he's in India, he's talking about it, that's where some of these comments around stagflation, 7% Fed funds rate come out from. 
But the important thing is JP Morgan is hanging its hat on Indian growth. They are very focused on the investment banking business there, uh, very excited around the role that M&A could have in a growing Indian economy. And then interestingly enough, and, and separate to the banking side, but more on kind of the, the asset management and the asset side of the business, JP Morgan's bond index has recently included India as well. So India coming through on so many different angles off the radar here. It's popped up in the flows business with the emerging market bond index. It's popping up on the deal flow uh, angle. And Jamie Dimon saying that he sees India as a natural ally for the United States over the longer term. One of the big risks, obviously, globally that he's indicated, he's been very vocal about, have been geopolitics. But when we're talking emerging markets, we've highlighted how the growth is there in Africa. Well, guess what? It's there in other emerging markets as well. India, probably one of the largest potential markets. And JP Morgan giving you a bit of that EM flavor when you're looking at its global exposures. Yeah, so Jamie already knows how to go to an emerging market. He's just going to, not the wrong one, but he's leaving out a few. So I'll dig a bit deeper into the results here from Standard Bank. Maybe that'll encourage him because he's obviously listening. He's got nothing better to do. So Standard Bank's latest numbers, net interest income, that grew 34%. Non-interest revenue, that grew by 18%. That's both very good, right? But it's the core operations of the bank that are really driving the story forwards. And this is the point I made right up front about inflation and interest rates and South African banks being very much commercial lending institutions. Average gross loans to customers increased by 13% across the bank. And they also talk about a mixed benefit because the pricing on loans in South Africa tends to be more competitive than it is in Africa. There are just more banks operating here, doing much the same thing. It's not necessarily the case in Africa. So as this African business grows, the mix from a pricing perspective actually improves in theory. And net interest margin grew by 87 basis points in this period, of which 66 is the positive endowment effect of the bank lending out its equity. So just to be very clear on what that means, the bank obviously has you know, money that it's borrowed from other people and it has its own equity and it can lend out both. And on its own equity, it doesn't pay a funding cost. Yes, there's a cost of equity, but it doesn't come through anywhere on the financials. We don't recognize a cost of equity in the income statement. Heck, maybe we should, because that would actually stop some of the nonsense I see in the numbers. I've just thought of a seriously important change to IFRS, a much better one than some of the recent nonsense I've seen. And to put a number to the endowment effect, we're talking about a six and a half billion rand net interest income uplift. Finally, if we look at the non-interest revenue, we find that fee and commission income came under pressure from a lack of what they call knowledge-based fees. So these are investment banking advisory revenues. Now the offset there, which I think is quite encouraging, renewable energy deal making, interesting, Dunkey ESCOM, and higher trade-related activities as well. So Mo, as we know from our days in banking, I think individual teams within a bank can have good years and bad years but the bank is actually just a combination of all of these things and that does give a generally smoother outcome you know some years the investment banking side is cooking some years it's the lending side of the business some years they make money on fees from renewable energy other years it's from take privates it always varies at business unit level but the bank kind of just keeps on ticking on that's really what you want to see as a bank, right? Is, is the sum of the parts, if it's run well, you should incrementally continue making good money over a long period of time. Ghost, I think just in terms of wrapping this discussion in the interest of sticking to our time limit, again, our listeners have told us they want two things from us. They want to view on what are the dividend yields and also you know, whether we would invest in any of these stocks. So I'm going to touch on the dividend yields because I think that's where South African banks stand out for me, is they generally pay much higher dividends than their US counterparts. And the last time I looked, I think Standard Bank had a dividend yield in excess of 7%. 
You know, I, I think it, it's there and thereabouts. And that's not a stretch. You know, even if my number's marginally wrong, it's there and thereabouts. Let's compare that to JP Morgan, as I indicated, around 28 2.9%. Uh, we will get results from JP Morgan in about two weeks' time. There was talk of the dividend being increased. You know, they've suspended the share buybacks to protect the capital buffers, but they are looking at increasing the dividends at JP Morgan. So net-net, that looks as though a South African bank, from a dividend perspective, is generally going to be better than its US peers. But I then went and looked at a long-term rate of return. And this ties all the way back to the very first point I had raised. And if you have a look at JP Morgan versus, for example, Standard Bank over 10 years, Standard Bank comes through at around 7.8%, 7.9% annualized compounded rate of return, including dividends. If you look at JP Morgan, that comes through at around 12%. Now, yes, I'll take the point any performance data is highly dependent on when you start this. But I think what I want to highlight here is that it's not all about the dividend. The FX leg, certainly from a South African perspective, is what has obliterated returns over the longer term for any investor that measures this in hard currency terms. Not to say they're not great investments if you're looking at it in local currency terms, but that's just generally how they tend to stack up. Ghost, between these two, you know, I'm going to let you go first on this one. What would you say, you know, JP Morgan, Standard Bank, both, what does that look like in your portfolio? I think long term, it would have to be JP Morgan, just because you're buying kind of global banking. You know, you really are buying the blue chip and you're buying it in hard currency, to your point. Short term, I think you can trade the local banks quite successfully. You can swing trade them really well. You know, you can look at their historical effective ROEs and, and, and compare them to where they are now. You can do stuff like buy the load shedding dips, that kind of thing, because especially with Standard Bank, you're getting quite a big uplift from Africa and you're getting a fat dividend yield as well. I mean, I didn't mention the dividend yield up front in the sort of performance versus the broader market, but I can tell you the top 40 is certainly not paying you a 7% dividend yield. So that Standard Bank dividend yield is almost what you'll get on a on a pretty decent call account right now. And then it's giving you, you know, some inflation protection as well. So I think within an SA context, if you're looking to keep your money local, I've been pretty bullish on banks you know, for the past year and a half now in terms of just thinking that this is a much better place to play than a retailer, for example. What's happening is a lot of the profit pool is being taken from corporates and their shareholders into the banks. So within a local context, I still like banking. If you're going to make me choose between these two, long term, it's very hard to fight the hard currency story. It would have to be JP Morgan. I mean, that's why we focus on global stocks in premium, right? That, that is the reason. Yeah, in fact, I mean, it's, it's not a fair comparison. I think JP Morgan, dollarized, global, primo bank, you know, Standard Bank is a great player. It's a great regional bank. And I think that's why we stack these two up. It's not really against one another. It's saying, if you're a local investor, look at some of the local banks. I think, you know, where I would land on this is we like banks. We come from banking. I think the quality of South African balance sheets, the bank's balance sheets, is reasonably good. Yes, we've seen the credit loss ratios tick up in South Africa. You're seeing the same thing in, in globally as well. So in aggregate, I actually like both of them. I'm just a little more worried in terms of where we are in the cycle, certainly with some of the factors that we've indicated on JP Morgan. So cyclically, tactically, I'm not going to be jumping in right now. If we see the right opportunities, holy smoke, these are powerful, strong businesses. And just watch really, really closely. But what do you think? Let us know. Hit us up on social media. It's at Magic Markets Pod. One word. It's at Muhammad Nala. And it's at Finance Ghost. We hope you're still enjoying this new format. Until next week, same time, same place. Thanks and cheers. Ciao. We thank our sponsor, B2IT, for making this show possible. B2IT is all about making life easier, one robot at a time. If you hate it, automate it. 
Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.